The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he arrived again in the temple area, and all the people started coming to him. And he sat down and he taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they said to him, to test him, so that they could have something to charge and bring against him. Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. But when they continued asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And in response, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. So he was left alone with the woman before him. And then Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she replied, No one, sir. And then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. The Gospel of the Lord. We have, to a great extent, become accustomed to the love of God. We aren't shocked by it, or by our existence either. Remember that when our first parents sinned, God might have destroyed that creation and made a new one. But instead, we have an incarnation. God takes our nature and dies on a cross. And we aren't shocked by it. We're accustomed to it. It's the same also with God's mercy and forgiveness. We're accustomed to that too. That God should forgive us? Yes. We're not shocked by it. Especially when we consider the cross. Forgiveness is something that we 
take for granted from God. This woman wasn't accustomed to it. The woman in today's gospel was shocked. This gospel is unique to St. John. We don't know who the woman was. Some people have associated her with Mary Magdalene, but there's no reason to think so. She's nameless. She's nameless for a reason. She symbolizes all humanity, you and me. And there's no doubt about her sin or her guilt. The scribes and the Pharisees are trying to trap our Lord. So they bring her and they say, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In the very act. Again, there's no doubt about her guilt whatsoever. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Actually, the law didn't specify the manner of death. Remember that to the Jews, they should be willing to die rather than commit three sins, idolatry, murder, and adultery. In the early church, there were three sins that demanded public penance, apostasy, murder, and adultery. We've grown accustomed to that too, haven't we? We don't take adultery very seriously. We're not shocked by it anymore. In our culture, it's something that's just there. Now, Moses demanded that they should be stoned. They, he, they might have strangled her, according to the law, in other places. But stoning was considered better because you didn't have to touch the person. You could kill them from a distance. What do you say? Now, if he says, no, let her go, they can accuse him of rejecting the Mosaic law and discredit him with the people. If he then should say, stone her, they can report him to the Romans, who alone had authority over life and death and could authorized capital punishment, and would also destroy his reputation as a friend of sinners. So what will our Lord do? Notice, too, the woman is silent. There is no protest from her. She doesn't proclaim her innocence. She doesn't suggest either that there are people who commit worse sins than I've done, as you and I might do. Remember, I've said this before, in the spiritual life, competition is fine to compete for holiness, but comparison is lethal. There's always someone who's going to be a greater sinner than I am. I have a friend, a priest friend, and retired in the Southern Pines, who's 91. When he was ordained, um, a nun who had taught him in grade school sent him a card to congratulate him, and in the card she wrote, I will pray not that you will become worthy of the priesthood, because no one can, but that every day you may become a little less unworthy than you are today. <laughs> I like that. That's real. I think that's quite wonderful. So this woman doesn't deny her guilt either. She's expecting to die, as the law of Moses would suggest. Our Lord then does something that's really extraordinary. He doesn't respond at all. We're told he bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. We are not told what he was writing. For 2,000 years, people have been conjecturing about what he was writing on the ground. Generally speaking, though, it's thought he was writing the sins of those who were standing there, writing the sins of her accusers, murderer, thief, adulterer, fornicator, liar. 
and he continues to write. But they continue to press him. They want an answer. Our Lord then straightens up and answers them. Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he begins to write on the ground. And we are told that they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. When we're young, we think we're quite wonderful. As we get older, we begin to realize that we aren't if we have any sense. As time goes on, we begin to see ourselves as not the shining examples of heroism that we might have thought we were one time. Now, there's a reason for that. That St. Thomas Aquinas reminds us, true wisdom only comes with age. It doesn't always come with it. We can live to be 100 and be foolish. But true wisdom only comes with age. And if we are younger and wise, it's because either we have listened to those who are older, who have wisdom, or we have suffered. Bishop Sheen once encountered a young lady whom he found to be very wise. And he said, you know, you're a very wise young woman. Have you suffered? She said, yes, I spent 10 years in a communist concentration camp. In any event, they, they go away beginning with the elders and gradually the younger ones follow. They lose their enthusiasm for the kill and they realize that they themselves are not without guilt. And so our Lord is left alone with a woman who must have been in a state of shock. That not only has she not been stoned to death, but they've all left. But our Lord will address her yet, and so he straightens up and says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Her reply, no one, sir. Our Lord then, neither do I condemn you. But notice he, does, he doesn't trivialize what she's done, the gravity of it. Our Lord speaks of adultery in other places as one of those sins that will cause us to lose the kingdom of God if we aren't repentant. Neither do I condemn you. He's forgiven her. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So he warns her about she must experience a great conversion in her life right now because she's been forgiven. She must not go back to what she was. She has to move forward. Again, she's a symbol of you and of me uh, as we come to the Lord for that reason. You know, uh, someone once wrote a verse in which they, they said, how I wish there was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like some shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. I don't know who wrote that, but whoever wrote that ought to be told there is such a place. It begins at the confessional and brings us to the Eucharist, the beginning of heaven. The woman in today's gospel saw that place face to face. We can too. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you as the people redeemed by the blood of your Son and trusting in your love and mercy. For the church throughout the world, that her members will always be visible signs of God's forgiveness, 
and open to his mercy, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For all nations of the world, that they may come to know God's love through repentance and conversion, especially our own nation, we pray to the Lord. For all those who are sick and suffering and dying, that they may know that in their sufferings they proclaim the love of God and his mercy. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have rejected grace and forgiveness, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For greater respect for human life, especially in our own culture and in our own age, we pray to the Lord. The church may always be holy, announcing the praises of God and bringing light to a world darkened by sin. And for all children who are abused, that they may know God's love and mercy, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For an increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, especially from our own parish and diocese, those young men and women will be visible signs of the mercy of God. For a greater reverence for the witness of marriage and the single life, we pray to the Lord. Lord for our bishop, priests, deacons, and seminarians, and for the American hierarchy, that having first experienced God's mercy, they may then be visible signs of that to others. We pray to the Lord. Lord for all those working on our building project, that they will remain safe. We pray to the Lord. Lord for the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. And for all of us here, we may recognize our need for forgiveness, and open ourselves to the mercy of God, we pray to the Lord. Lord, We now join our prayers to those of the refuge of sinners and the sorrowful mother as we sing. Mm -hmm. 